2: Yes, another big guest, uh, Lee Clark. I'm
3: still waiting. Oh, for the, the signature. <laughs> What's happening? Ah, uh, you pestered us, didn't you, at the, uh, <laughs> the race course.
1: What I lost you your number.
2: <laughs> By the way, I've been told you keep to watch us after it and I was I had an absolute shock that
3: uh, Well, I was always watching you. I thought uh, you caught my eye when you were playing for Swindon, and uh, same when Paul Carrasso, I ended up having it Birmingham and uh, Bury. So... Um, but you were probably more expensive than Caddy, so I probably couldn't. I couldn't afford you. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: was a great. Was that the unseen trainers by the
3: way? That's them. That's How them. How did you manage to that? Ah, um... yeah. Hey, hey, listen. Got links everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, know, I've got a
2: couple of pairs of belts.
3: Aye, aye. Definitely. I must say
2: you're looking
3: great, mate. Aye, lost a bit of weight, and uh, so looking after myself again. Maybe he's trying to get the boots back out. Well, I, I do play with my pals five aside, six uh, there. You know, so t- once or twice a week down at uh, one of the Power League uh, Turf pitches we just stick a fiver in a man and have a kick about You still got it? I means you cannot kind of lose what you never had. <laughs> <laughs> Not I me. Mean, you were a player. I've heard you were an absolute
2: player. Uh, Bly Spartans just now? Aye. Tough. Surely you'll sign us for Bly Spartans. Come on. I definitely are, you. And Caddy get his back together? <laughs> How's it
3: going, all right? Uh, tough. Tough at the moment, you know. We've... Uh, new league for me, part time, um... The club lost 16 players over the summer and we tried to replace them. We tried to go with lads from lower level who found it a bit difficult. Um, had a heavy defeat last night after getting someone sent off after 10 minutes. So, tough, but that's what the challenges are all about. As I said, something different for me would be in part-time, only have the players two nights a week um, and then play on a sat. Then football's a secondary job, really. They've all been grafting or yeah aye, it, aye and, uh... tough so like last night a couple of lads looked a little bit off the pace but when you're sitting chatting with your staff you understand why they've probably been doing a 12 hour shift before the game or something that must be hard for you the, where you've managed and the aye, places it, you it, it is but it's I still enjoy the Tuesdays and Thursday nights doing the coaching obviously the results at this moment in time aren't where we're wanting to be so that hurts so I've still got the passion for the game no matter what level I'm uh, working at so um, let's see. we can just try and improve them over the course of the season.
2: Right, on to your career now. Uh, Grew up a Newcastle lad, Newcastle fan, born and bred.
3: Absolutely, yeah. First game, 1980. Wasn't a particularly good era for the club. We were, uh, didn't have a great side, but um, stood in the famous Gallagher end and uh, watched the team. And then, two years later, the club took off. We signed uh, the European Footballer of the Year, Kevin Keegan, the most high-profile footballer in Britain at the time. And, uh, Club was in equivalent to the championship now was League One then, uh, or League Two, sorry. And um, Keegan walked through the door, and from then on in, the club was big news. Was we... he your hero, Keegan? Well, obviously he was everyone's hero. He was, was untouchable when he came. The crowds went from fourteen thousand to thirty-two, thirty-three thousand sellout capacity. Um, a young Chris Waddle was in the team then, and then a young Peter Beardsley got signed. Terry McDermott arrived because he was big friends with Kevin from the Liverpool days. So with that four, you weren't destined to do anything but get promoted. So it was an exciting period. The games were brilliant, the the amount of goals that were scored. So he was obviously one, he was the untouchable Kevin. And then obviously for me as a local guy, you were looking at like Chris Waddle and Peter Beardsley were the two that you looked up to. So... Further down the line in the nineties, when I played alongside Peter, being managed by Kevin and Terry was assistant. It was a little bit surreal. I mean, really, who would you go to games with your dad? Dad, my mates, my brother, uh, any family, any kind, you know, really. So it was. Um, and I remember in that era as well. Uh, in the festive games, there was no public transport. I used to, I used to live on the banks of the Tyne in the east of the city called a place called Walk at then Wall's Oh, Walker, uh, I know that. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, no, it, n- n- would, people from there didn't have a lot of uh-huh. uh, things going for them they just had the love of football probably and uh, so it was a you know we used to have to walk to the matches in the festive period and uh, you know it was a good banter all the fans would be congregating together and if you were with your dad or your older brother they'd be stopping off at the pub and so it would take a little bit longer than you thought but uh, all great experiences uh-huh.
2: How did you get picked up for Newcastle
3: Well I was um, playing for my school and then, and then the City team and then got taken to the very famous Walls End Boys Club that's produced many, many uh, footballers uh, for the professional game and certainly in the Premier League as well. And, um, and then they obviously came, used to come to those games and had scouts and uh, there was no academies then. It was what called Centre for Excellencies. And, uh, so I joined at about 10, 11 years of age. And then at 14, signed for schoolboy forms for them. Well, signed a contract that from 14 to 21, really, which enabled schoolboy forms, uh, YTS scheme, and then a professional contract.
2: Who were some of the players that you came through? Because, see, when you mentioned Beardsley and Waddle there, always think of Alan Thompson when he was at set, like If he hit a shot and goal, he'd shout, Beardsley or Waddle. <laughs> that was he shout. Was it guys like T- Alan Thompson? That well, you came our, through our on?
3: group uh, from Wars End Boys Club, and also who uh, were at the, in the in the youth team together um, was a, a goalkeeper called Ian Bennett who played lower leagues. I actually managed him at Huddersfield. Ian had a very successful career. Uh, Steve Watson, uh, oh, yeah. Alan Thompson, uh, Steve Howie, Robbie Elliott, um, obviously myself, um, a lad called Lee Meeke, who works up at uh, Hibs. Have Hib- Yeah, Now yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> works at Hibs. Went to Blackburn. Um, Alan Nielsen, who played for Newcastle and went to Southampton, so there was there was a lot of us who from that youth team made, made the grade and, uh, and went on to have careers at, at various different clubs at different levels. Was that a lively? Knowing a couple of the boys, was that a lively youth team? Oh, just a bit, yeah. It was uh, there was absolute <laughs> carnage going on most days at uh, the training ground. I mean, it was the days where we had to look after boots and kit for pros and all that, and so we'd be there early in the morning cleaning the dirty boots in a. In a Old wooden hut, which was freezing in the winter. So you can imagine there was some uh, shenanigans going on between when uh, when we were growing up. Gaza was around. Gaza was a a young pro, obviously the up and coming thing, the big thing. And we've seen some crazy thing. We, he got he hid in a commercial uh, dryer, you know the what the kit <laughs> men use. Uh, when when some one of the other players, one of the senior players, was after him. A guy called Billy Whitehurst who was a real tough nut. And Gaza kept sticking the ball through his legs and training. And Billy said, "In one day, in and, and no uncertain terms, do that again in your yeah, history." So Gaza done it again, ran off and hidden this dryer and switched the dryer on, <laughs> just the slowest spin. And there's Gaza. <laughs> Maybe that's the answer to why things are going a little bit downhill at the moment. But uh, great guy. He, he was very supportive of the young players because he'd come through that route himself. Um, him was an unbelievable talent uh, put some of the things he'd done in and around the training ground and as I said we used to get changed as well in a little room that used to be the old boot room so it was tiny so there was about 16 or 17 of us in there the, the banter that was flying about and when it was my birthdays you know we got jumped on with in deep heat and boot polish and Vaseline so it was uh, interesting times Would guys ever take you out for a night? he ah, well he'd, he'd take out and uh, he loved his fishing, and we, we, we just sort of feel we used to go around and go a bit fishing with him and uh take it to a cafe in between St James's Park and the training ground and i uh, as many many times we've had social times with him he was he was he was different class with us you know, and, and even when he became the super superstar that he was of his generation, whenever we' bumped into him uh be home or abroad, he always looked after it
2: Brilliant. uh. In terms of older players you said, Billy Whitehouse, coaches as well, were they ruthless for young players back then?
3: Oh aye, I mean uh, the, the, the youth team coaches, um, you know, having to, the, the running that were done and we didn't have a, the all-weather pitch we had was a gravel pitch so yeah. and you were trying to have do sliding tackles on it and you were gashed and the, we had an old gymnasium with like, the basic uh, astroturfing, but it just had breeze block walls, and we used to be bouncing each other into those walls. And I mean, at the end of the season, our jobs were to paint the training ground, and the, the, the youth team coach Colin Suggett would go across the top of the door frames, which he couldn't really reach, and to check if the um, if there was any dust. If there was, we had to redo the whole training ground again. And so it was a it was a tough school, but a one that gave where you know. Uh, Great discipline and um, made we realise when we did eventually become pros what we had.
2: See, when you got into the first team, were you a bit intimidated, or were you kind of loud? And no, would you I was, give caught, them a bit
3: I was back? very, I was very very cocky. Um, in fact, when um, before I got in the first team, um, I my three professionals was a young striker called David Robinson, uh, a Danish striker called Frank Pingle who played in the first team, and Mickey Quinn. They were my uh, my pros and. Um, one day on the Saturday Frank had scored a ridiculously own goal against Coventry at St James and we'd lost 1-0 and we're in the boot room and the old wire brushes that used to take the mud off the boots boot it's
2: got, it's got fire, uh-huh.
3: come across the back of my hand it was all gosh and I said to the lads listen Frank I'm cleaning his boots and i am he's absolutely rubbish like <laughs> so I, I took his kit in like with his boots blood all over my hand and I said Frank listen it's the last day I'm doing your boots I says I'm 16 mate I'm better than you <laughs> and he's like <laughs> Lee, you probably are and uh, I looked across and Quinny said you say that to me pal and you'll be getting the yeah. right hook <laughs> so I would never have said it to Quinny like, and, uh, but Quinny obviously great goal scorer and uh, when they talk about all the stats now and they talk about assists I probably got 27, 28 assists for Quinny that season I didn't play because I cleaned his She's boots but... <laughs> ah, they were my assists so had um, you sort I... of you of That's well the story was I thought I was giving it the big in to the lads at Christmas time coming up and I was like, ah, oh, Quinny, he's on, like, he must. I think he was on about 25 goals at the time. He had a ridiculous season. And I was like, the lads, ah, oh, Quinny's going to weigh us in, lads. Got to give us at least a ton. Uh, and if he does, we're out. Like, I'll take you out. I'll sort out all the drinks. And I say, so. So I was giving it the big in for a couple of weeks and he came in this morning. He says, come and see us after the train. I've got your Christmas present. So I thought, yeah, brilliant. And as that goes in, he hands us a, a bag had looks in it and it was a nike t-shirt but i don't know if you remember quinn he was a big guy yeah. And when i opened the t-shirt out it was obviously one that would be sent for him it was so it doubled up as a yeah, as a continental quilt for us <laughs> uh, so when i walked back in with my tail between my legs because i'd been giving it the big in to the other lads they were just bursting out they, they, they were laughing, but they were also gutted because they were hoping for a night I, out uh, off uh, the back of me.
2: So. Surely you ken them for getting you that t-shirt, though? So. Eh? Surely you ken them and said, where's the oh, money? Oh, no, no.
3: I wouldn't. Cain Quinny, he no. Aye, oh, would have just clipped us. No, he, no. He? no. You, you knew, like, uh, you know, you, I knew Frank was a nice bloke and he wouldn't respond, but if I had a said, like, and i had a pop at Quinny, um, have would have him. been a right hook coming come my way but there was obviously some guys I played with that you would know very well Mark McGee
2: yeah.
3: uh, Roy Aitken was my how partner was Roy, Roy one of my questions how was he scary Roy was uh, a great guy he obviously came he was massive I think he was uh, I don't know if he still is record appearance holder for Celtic he was at the time he was that obviously guy. captain of Scotland yeah. And uh, so we get him down and um, I remember one game, my debut, one of my first games on my debut and Jim's, we had Jim Smith who was frightening Jim yeah. as a manager. Especially for me being 17, he gives me debut and uh, he's there, Roy, Roy, you're captain of Scotland, what's going on? You're fa- useless, man, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm thinking, he's coming to me next, what's he going to be saying? He bypassed us and all that. And But Ryan, Mark, uh, Mark was a, top player and they knew they were experienced they knew how to handle Jim at the time Mickey Quinn Kevin Dillon John Burridge all these guys Ray Ranson had a lot of experience so they knew how to handle me I was a little bit intimidated only being 17 um now I look back you know um Jim was a good manager just obviously too 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 strong with so, the time yeah. well not too strong he just obviously, when you're only 17, you get a bit intimidated by that. But uh, those guys were different class for me. The, you know, to be alongside them. Um, obviously, I've managed against um, Mark as well up in Scotland right. since then, and obviously, so it's it's a bit weird for him seeing that he was the senior pro and I was the youngster in the group. Um, so it's it's, but it was a good good grounding. For Can you remember your debut? Me me me. Initial debut was coming on as a sub for Neil Simpson, ex Aberdeen.
2: Right, uh-huh.
3: Uh, Simo got injured after about half an hour down at Bristol City, September uh, 1989. And, uh, uh, sorry, 1990. And um, came on after half an hour, so... And then the week after was my full debut at home to West Brom. Uh, St James'? Aye. Keno, were you starting? I started nil nil. You know, the night before you were starting? Uh, I had an idea because Jim was big on doing his team shape on a Thursday and that, right. but without naming the team, so you didn't want to count your chickens. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was daunting. I, the game, I can't remember a lot about the game, Portland was a, a horrible nil-nil against West Bromwich Albion. So, uh, and so I think the, the, the occasion passed us by. But at the time as well, uh, I couldn't drive. It took us a while before I passed my driving test. And um, I used to get the bus. From my house to the to the stadium and the driver used to let us off with a bus fare, uh, so because obviously they knew who I was oh, when I was getting hey? on the bus, so it's a little Now you see the young lads pulling up in Lamborghinis and all it. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, that. Brilliant, Was your was your dad and
2: pals not in the game ahead? Aye,
3: aye, all of them, my family, and brother and sisters, brother in laws and
2: Does nothing beat the debut playing for your hometown
3: team? You're living the dream, aren't was you? Was there
2: any in your career that surpassed that at all? Nah. Nah.
3: N- you know, um, the best thing that happened is I started my career, and then un- unbelievably, never ever thought it would happen. I ended my career there as well. Mm. So playing wise, and um, and that was that's living the dream. I, I see it now when I go back, and you think, you know, that you performed in front of this in the stadium in big Premier League games and Champions League games and Europa League. It was UEFA Cup. Uh, when I played, but, you know, now known as the Europa League. So, uh, great, great How times. was your match for you when you made your debut
2: in that and you're in uh, Newcastle? Br- so,
3: your, uh, yeah, just you know, couldn't, like me, just couldn't believe it had happened, you know. It was Because uh, when I first went to watch, you never ever think that you're going to be uh, getting chosen to play. Because you don't know how ultimately they end up becoming your United footballers. So you just think that something different happens to them. So you know, as but as you get older, uh, you know, you get the opportunity. So and it was it was living the dream basically.
2: Amazing. it's uh, mentioned Jim Smith, Screwball. Uh, what's the worst you've seen him crack?
3: Awful oh, teapots, tea, teacups. Um, w- one of the funny stories was when when I made my debut for a home game. We used to have to wear our own shirt and tie and jacket. So. I went and spent twenty-five quid and see and on a full outfit. And uh, when I got in the dressing room, all the senior lads were hanging their nice suits up and putting towels across the suits. And I thought, oh well, this must be what you do when you're an established pro. So I just hung my suit up. I didn't put a towel over it. And when we came in at half time, Jim picked up the old silver teapot and with the cups and threw it at the wall, and the tea went everywhere. <laughs> and that's the reason why that there was no, it was no, it wasn't any. Uh, uh, scale of what where you were in the pecking order it was just they were protecting our suits aye, aye. so did
2: you put the suit on with the tee on? over
3: aye. Hey, listen it didn't really spoil it it was a minging outfit in any way to be fair <laughs> <something> never changes <laughs> <laughs> uh, did it come a bit of surprise when Aussie Ardiles replaced Jim? I. but for us uh, the young players Aussie gave us our head um still keep in touch with him I'm actually doing a gig with him um, next month for Walls End Boys Club and uh, he was a great man he was, he was a, a young he was for the young players like I, I talked about all them young players before he gave, put us all in the team together it was exciting games. Would be there was lots of 4-4s four and getting beat 5-4 after being 3-0 up. And the first ever live game on Sky was a cup competition called the Simod Cup and it was Newcastle v Tramia. And we played in it and we drew six each in, in in normal game and then it went to penalties and Sky must have thought, well, we we'll hope all these games are going to be <laughs> like this. I then Quinney scored four and John Aldridge scored four for them or three. They both got hat tricks. I know that. And this was down to Ozzy. We weren't allowed to call him Boss or Gaffer. We had to call him Ozzy. He had Tony Galvin with him, the ex-Tottenham winner. Yeah. And he was just a... He was a great man. It was... A, uh, even though it was a tough period for him because what was happening behind the scenes, the club was uh, wanting to be... It was a group called the Magpie Group, which had being run by Sir John Hall, who eventually bought the club. was wanting to buy the old regime out because there was no finance. And... Uh, Ozzy was stuck in the middle, really. Didn't really have a lot of finance. We bought a player called David Kelly, a striker, and Ozzy actually bought him out of his own money for no a quarter of a million pounds, and it was like interest-free loan, interest uh, free loan to the club. So he eventually got that money back, but he didn't know where the predicament the club was in. So it was a tough period. And when he, when he left, it was um, it was hard for all us young lads because we, we took stuck up a great relationship with him. But he was funny, he'd, um, he'd be signing photos of him alongside Diego Maradona and he'd say like things like, yeah. And he used to say, I made him, <laughs> about Maradona. and uh, so um, Legend. I, he's won the big one, hasn't uh, he? The World Cup. So, yeah. And he was a, a fantastic football. I mean, in training. Did he join
2: in? At her? I, I,
3: listen, most of the managers I played for what's still top draw. I mean, him, Keegan... Daglish, Sunes, Tigana, uh, ridiculous Reedy it's Sunderland. I mean, all top players, and uh, they were still still competitive uh, when when they joined in. I see,
2: our deal was was it total football? Did he just want you to have uh, expression? Yeah,
3: them? yeah, player, play, player play was his partner. Um, we played oh, all, yeah. but it was That's what great. you wanted as a young kid. To it you was. That? It was great, and he's broken English. We're playing at Barnsley at Oakwell one day, and he sat and he said, uh, "Well, uh, well, uh, bit bitty bitty bubbly," and uh, <laughs> but we still play, play, play. And I looked, and he said, "What's the matter, Clark? You not understand English?" <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, uh, a bit strange, but what a, a fantastic guy. And as I said, I've kept in touch with him. And he, when he left. Uh, he went to West Brom, and then he went, he got the Tottenham job, and he was very interested in taking me to Tottenham. But I'd have been decent, that would not I, but I wasn't going to leave Newcastle at that stage um, to go to go there. But I still keep in touch now, uh, very regular. And as I said, we're meeting up in October to do a gig together for Wolves and Boys Club. Tremendous!
2: So obviously, you were got when he got sacked, there. Uh,
3: we all were because he'd give us great belief in ourselves. He showed a great sort of faith, but that was tempered by the fact that the Messiah was coming back. Did you, how, how soon did you know that Messiah was coming? Well, it, it, it happened quite quickly within a, within a few hours. And were you buzzing? Of course, I mean, you know, I'd been there to see him uh, absolutely change the club from a run-of-the-mill, uh, mid-table, new ambition, uh, League One club, now the championship, as I said, to getting them in the top level. Exciting night, nights, I mean, remember, there wasn't the television and live television of matches that there is now, but Newcastle, were, when Kevin came as, the first, as a player at first, we were quite regular on the TV. And uh, that was like, quite unique for Newcastle fans to see that team in a live football match. And it was because of what Kevin brought. So he brought all this publicity and stardust when he played. So to think uh, what he was going to do as a manager, but no one ever believed what he, what he, how he was going to change things around from where the club was. Mm. Um, he came in three quarters into the season. We just escaped relegation from the championship. And then over that summer, he rebuilt the squad and we ran away with the league and then got promoted. And then every year in, there on in were, were challenging to win the title. So what did he change? Was it just bringing in better players? Aye, experienced players, top quality players. I mean, we, we, John Beresford was on had, had a fantastic run in the FA Cup with Portsmouth. He was on the verge of signing for Liverpool. Don't know what happened, don't know what happened with the breakdown of his talks there. We signed him was left back. We signed Barry Venison, who was a who was a league winner with Liverpool, an FA Cup winner with Liverpool, so he played at the highest level at a huge club. Paul Bracewell, who'd won big things with Everton, who, who was going to end up being my mentor in midfield, who was, was me and him. Um, He'd already signed a a lead on Brian Kilcline, and you know he he was always uh, developing the team. So it was uh, it was in 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 the those days as well. There was no transfer window, so he could continually buy and buy and bring players in. So he was always enhancing the team, and then he he brought Scott Sellers in, who had a wand of a left foot. I mean, an unbelievable player, Kevin Sheedy, you know as well. We just had, uh, and then we just went on a run, and we won the first eleven games, out eleven, and we were just on a roll. And and then to top everything off, he he brought in Coley Andy Cole um, from Bristol City, and Coley just went on a ridiculous run in terms of scoring. Uh, And then obviously, as I said, we we romped the championship, and uh, and then we got in the Premier League. And he was ruthless in his recruitment. I mean, David Kelly had scored over 30 goals to get us to the Premier League. And without playing a Premier League game, he sold them to Wolves and replaced them with Peter Beardsley. And so that's how he was doing it. He was, thanks very much, lads. You've you've done what I needed you to achieve. We're going to the next level. I'm not going in there as an so ran I want to go in there and challenge. And that's what he said to us.
2: What was so good about him? Was it his enthusiasm? Was man, your manager? Aye. Coaching?
3: Ah, not coaching, you know, in terms of... Uh, understood the game of course he did he was a top player so uh, but it was his, his man management his motivation his passion uh, the whole package how he treated you how he looked after you you and your family made you feel uh, made everyone feel really great about themselves got a great group of players together moulded them moulded a team knew what he wanted knew how to improve the team on a regular basis and um, and was just You know Just led from the front I mean as I said Joined in most of the ses- sessions In any way Did you ever smash him? Oh of course aye, Loads of times aye, he, aye. Aye. There's certainly times When he left us out of the team And <laughs> there was, I, was, I was a bit of a hothead I, I think he's seen He was a manager Who wore his heart on his sleeve We knew what Kevin was about We knew what mood he was in And I think he's seen A little bit of that in me And that's why I, I think we had A strong relationship Did uh, he take to you straight away? Aye, I mean, it's. I was there from the first day he arrived till the day he left. I mean, even when you talk about, you know, his emotions, we, I knew something up the day, the day he ended up quitting was we played Charlton in an FA Cup tie down in the valley and um, when he got on the bus, he, he looked really flat. Uh, we drew the game. We played all right. Was not, you know, we hadn't been poor or anything, but, you know, we drew the game and um, he just looked very flat. And, and then it was announced later on that evening early morning that he quit the club which 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 when we talk about you know being shocked and gutted the, the players were certainly absolutely you know totally gutted because he he was the leader he was the man who who was taking us forward was helping us to be part of a, of a group uh, that was you know, Everyone's favourite second team really yeah. I think, you know in, in Sky had nicknamed us the Entertainers So it was, it was always um, It was a great era to be part of
2: See, the promotion back to the Premier League uh, How good's Newcastle when you're, you're winning stuff You've won a league and you're up to the
3: It was, it was a, a rollercoaster Aye, I mean It, it took away. from this hotel yeah. To the Civic Centre Which is three and a half, four mile Took us four or five hours on the open top bus. It was just absolute carnage. They were hanging on top of the lampposts and streetlights, and uh, it was great. Did um, you just go
2: up with the fans as well? Would the fa- would nice with the fans, you get nights up with the fans?
3: Ah, listen, we had the relationship between the players and the fans then was unbelievably strong. That's one of the areas in today's world that I get disappointed about. Yeah. And uh, and but we had great. Uh, times where after results home or away would be in town in the pubs in the nightclubs and the fans would be there and they, they you know never refused an autograph any any player or, or a pitcher i mean obviously wasn't the camera phones there then but so but uh, no a great relationship between players and fans
2: who would be the usual suspects it would be who would be out with?
3: everybody the whole team the whole group and then it would either,
2: Kevin Keegan Carragher
3: yeah, of course, at the right time, because he knew that we, we, we trained unbelievably hard. The tempo of the training, because the standard of the player was so high, and everyone was fighting to get in the team, and we knew we had to impress Monday to Friday. But whenever we socialised as just players, everyone was there. But whenever we socialised with our wives, or girlfriends, everyone was there again. Everyone was... No one was there not included on, on the, on the nights out, and no one never. Uh, not went and we, had a, we had a great relationship There'd be If we had any kind of Parties Back at the houses Or whatever Family celebrations The whole Squad was invited With our partners And all that So it was It, 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 it showed In how we'd done things On the pitch as well
2: Because uh, you finished third In the first season Back in the previous League. Uh,
3: was that doing the team a uh, Down to good players Yeah And being a good team But obviously The the, the spirit that would uh you know, brought together because, but when I talk about spirit as well, we weren't fighting to um, fight with each other. And, and, well, have debates, I strong debates during training. Training was heated because everyone was wanting to win. Everyone was wanting to be picked on a Saturday. Uh, matches, uh, we weren't worried about falling out with each other over the course of the game. Um, and then we enjoyed each other's company afterwards there was no fallout there was no uh, follow on from that Nah, no, exactly everyone was there to win and if we had to give each other a little rattle to get the result we'd done it brilliant uh, you mentioned Andy Cole How, did you know straight away that he was going to be a top top player well I was good pals with him unbelievably um, he's from Nottingham he was playing at Arsenal at the time obviously a jaw playing played at Newcastle and we when we got together for the England youth squads me and him hit it off so we could become good pals. And the morning he, we, we we signed him, Kevin, we were on our way to Swindon to play a game. And uh, we um, Kevin rang and said, "I've got a surprise for you." And it's like, "What?" Well, he says, oh, "I've got your mate here. We, we just signed him from Bristol City, and uh, I think he made his debut that day down there as a sub. And then it just rocketed his his goal record in the famous jersey number nine jersey, uh, which is obviously. Famous for some unbelievable players wearing it and, and what they had done. It was ridiculous, you know.
2: Well, can the guys, what kind of guy is Andy Nicole?
3: He's quiet, he's unassuming. People uh, thought it was arrogance, so it wasn't. He was very. Um, he found it difficult at first when he came because obviously it's like living in a goldfish bowl where every fan wants to support you. So you went to a shop, you went to a supermarket, you went to a restaurant, you went to a bar, you went to a fill your car up. Everyone wanted to talk about the team and, and talk about you, and Andy found that a little bit difficult. Uh, not because he was aloof or a big time; it was not something he wasn't used used to, yeah. you know. But you know, he was he, he he was fine. And obviously, when he when he got the move to Man United, that that was a big shock. But it was Kevin then doing what he felt was right to then kick the team on again, yeah, you know. Uh-huh. So you being a local lad, like, see defeats and stuff like that, would you bear the brunt of it more than others? Uh, well, we felt it. I mean, we had an unbelievable record. We, I think we averaged during Kerrin's years, six years or something, it averaged one home defeat per season, so we were very rarely lost. Yeah. Um, so it was, yeah, whenever we did, it was, uh, it was tough and it wasn't a feeling we were used to, so... It, it, you know, it, it didn't sit well with us, and what it meant was that it affected your weekend. You never went socialising when you lost football matches. You didn't go out in the town and all that. I did. <laughs> That's why I'm sitting here. We didn't. <laughs> uh, aye, we didn't. We, we, we felt it wasn't the right thing to do with the supporters.
2: Uh-huh. Uh, going into the ninety-five ninety-six season, was it a genuine belief that you could do in the league?
3: Of course, we we're getting better all the time. Some of the signings we made, Ferdinand arrived. had arrived. Um Genola, Baisley, Rob Lee, Gen- back. Gen- R-
2: wow. Well back. You know,
3: well, Robley came in the championship season. You know, I forgot to mention him. You know, and that's silly because he ended up being like one of the club's best ever signings. Went from a right winger to a centre midfield player and um, unbelievable footballer. Great, great lad as well. Had a great relationship with Rob, and um, so. Genola. How good was Genola? Unplayable. Unplayable. I mean, I've seen him just absolutely terrorise people. For the first six months I played with him, it was just like, wow, this guy's just, like, unstoppable. And uh, for what he didn't do without the ball, the rest of us were prepared to do a little bit extra because what he was doing with the ball, making and scoring of goals, was just on a different planet to what we'd been used to. We had him on one wing who loved to dribble was strong as a knock, six foot odd. We had Gillespie on the other wing, who was just rapid, uh, direct, and with them too, it was quite simple, easy to be a midfield player because nice you just give them the ball, her. and then obviously you've got Ferdinand and Beardsley up top, um, which was, you know, less he, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. But Is one, he, of, huh? aye, aye fantastic, good laugh, great guy. Great guy, but uh, fantastic footballer as well. But just so humble, so so nice.
2: Who'd have been like? See, when you're going for leagues and it's that top end Premiership football, do you still get characters and jokers in the dressing room, or is it all quite serious? Oh no, that
3: that was a, that dressing room was crazy. Yeah. That's How all, what that sort of stuff? Well, for example, later on when, when Shira arrived and uh, Aspia arrived, there was like all. Oh, we went through a stage where we're just cutting sleeves off each other's clothes, the, the toes out the socks, so when they put them on, they were up, and Tino was bearing the brunt of it most occasions. Philippe Albert was a great a great laugher. What a footballer he was, by the way. I mean, wow. Centre-half, he was one of the the first ever centre-halves to come out and talk about playing from the back. He would just... He, I've seen him go up the full length of the pitch, playing give-and-goes with people he was... Uh, he was phenomenal and he, he, he loved, the, he loved the, the, the laugh and the banter with the lads so some crazy things gone on but uh, great spirit great uh-huh.
2: spirit see do you know was he a god in the, he's gorgeous he was gorgeous isn't
3: he oh, oh, you wouldn't stand next time in the team oh, fought, oh, no but you did on a night out <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you get all sorts would
2: you <laughs> <laughs> well i man uh, would he have been the best that you played at Newcastle do you know talent wise well, <laughs>
3: For the first six months, as I said, unplayable. Then, obviously, you have the, the you know, the godlike uh, Shearer for the goals. But in terms of ability-wise, Beardsley was the standout. Beardsley player. was uh, he? I, for me, I mean, some of the things he could do with the football, and a make her and take out of goals. And the talk about the new systems now in the number ten. Peter was the original number ten without it being a position then. And if you, you know, he was he was like that in the World Cup when he, he assisted Lineker with all them goals.
2: Right. Uh was the style of play that season the best
3: Newcastle's ever seen? Well, that's what they say. Do you people, think people you think still that? talk about the era now, that all the fans that when we go if we ever go back to St James's or they stop us in the street and they wanna talk about it, they say it and as I said, they were everyone else's second favourite team and Sky dubbed us the entertainers and we were on on a regular basis live on television no matter where we were playing home or away and we never changed our philosophy so it was phenomenal the goals the amount of goals we scored and um, the manager was just if they score three we score four if they score four we score five and uh, it would be better if we kept a clean sheet but it wasn't to be all and end all and he just made sure that we uh, went out and attacked teams So local lad
2: top of the premiership is that we you treated like a king in Newcastle huh?
3: Oh, I was saying when you play for Newcastle United, it even doesn't matter how things are going, you get credit very well off yeah, the U.S. Huh? Huh? Well, I was you know, not trying to sound big headed, I wasn't really part of a team that they well, that huh? die. The only time was probably under Aussie, but we were young players and the fans were very appreciative of the young players coming through. They could see we had talent, we're just a little bit naive. 16, 17, 18 at the time, so and they could see we were and we they, we got a little bit of leeway because we were one of them, we were local lads as well. Do you know what I mean? So, you said previously that dropping you for David Batty affected the title, and you still go with it? Aye, of course. 12 points clear in my last game at Main Road, but when I talk about David Batty, I don't talk about him in a negative way. He was a fantastic footballer, international footballer, brilliant lad, could pass a ball. But just the way we were set up at the time, I'd been an attacking midfield player, been converted to be the deeper midfield player. I wouldn't say defensive midfield player, because I'm not sure Kevin ever wanted a defensive midfield player. But I was the deeper one who would start our attacks because of me forward thinking in terms of me attacking mode. We could get the passes into in between the lines very quickly, and uh, I just felt David was a great signing, a fantastic signing. But, you know, we, we had rhythm and um, I didn't play in the last nine games of the season and were 12 points clear when I got taken out of the side. So I'm always going to back my uh, own judgment on that. Would
2: you go and see Keegan
3: All right, yeah, as yeah. drop? Ah, of course. And what would his excuse be? No, he wasn't. He was very open. He was honest. And so he would, you know, probably say that he felt David was better for the role. So... Which, in all honesty, David had played that type of role, and as I said, he was a terrific footballer. I just felt the continuity we had in the team at the time. So yeah, there was. I always had conversations, and Kevin was good. He would always, if he dropped you, he would always give you an explanation uh, in his office for what the reasons were. He would never hide from from that situation.
2: Mm. Uh, Saying an aspira, was that a positive or a negative? Positive. Is he a madman?
3: Absolutely, crazy. Bigger nutter than he came across on the telly. He came across as a nutter on the telly as well. Uh, I mean, coming back from Colombia with a little bit of a bullet wound in his calf, we thought it was from a bad tackle and he said it was from a bullet wound. uh, You know, so... um, Pally with Pablo Escobar and all that. Oh, yeah. So that's it, that's it, he used to say it all, doesn't it? If that's if that's what if you have good mates, you know you're a bit of a crazy oh, horse. Wow.
2: He used the to shop, used to shop
3: at the Disney World so, Shop So he used to come in with a white shirt with Tweety Pie on and the lads <laughs> would cut his sleeves off and <laughs> cut it up and you'd you Jordy Bees and all that, and it was uh, just just crazy. Um I remember his debut it down at Middlesbrough. We cleared away and it was the first time we'd met him. He was in for a pre-match meal and uh, he had a half a carafe of red wine with his food and this must have been the thing in Italy, in Parma when he was. and he, he was sub and we were like thinking, wow, he's having a few drinks before the game and he came on sub and he set up the winner for Steve Watson. We beat Middlesbrough down there in a, in a local derby 2-1 and we thought, this guy's a magician and obviously the night against Barcelona when he scored the hat, showed you what a type of player he was but he was, he was just a phenomenon. He was... He, 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 he had these funny gangly legs, but he could just, like, be in control of the ball. So at the time, we had four strikers, and the four were Tifastino Espia, Les Ferdinand, Alan Shearer, and Peter Beardsley. Wow. And they were the selection dilemmas, the, mad, the manager had. And um, we had a little spell. Um, we went into Europe, and actually all four of them were, were injured. Uh, we played uh, Monaco. John Tiganas, Monaco, when probably I think, I ended up having to play off front in one of the games because we none of those guys were fit. And you think what that that four strikers would be worth today, man? Mm-hmm. It'd be like wow, scary. Would they four get on or with the competition for places? Oh, no, I got on. Listen, everyone got on. Yeah. You know, I, but they big names when they get left out, how did they take it? Well, it was hard, and, and sometimes. All they didn't, you know. Peter would maybe play a bit of a deeper role, and uh, it'd be Alan and Les as the front two, and um, all that. So, and maybe it's Fastino coming off the bench or playing in a wide area. So, you know, it was, it, it, Kevin handled the situation very well. He, mm-hmm. he kept all the players happy in terms of um, being open and honest with them. It's difficult when you've got so many. Uh, Big players and big egos, but he he handled it well. I love the man. Ah, crackers, man. Crackers.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Was there feeling around what was the feeling around the dressing room when the gap started to close in Man United?
3: No, there wasn't any talk of it. I mean, the lads never, we never used to talk about it and say, well, we've got to do this because it's dropped to six points or it's dropped to four. It was just try and win the next game, try and win the next game. Uh, so there wasn't really much communication about it in between the lads. Did um, they
2: panic
3: at it? Didn't seem to be, but the results just didn't follow. We lost to the Liverpool in the famous 4-3. We obviously lost to Blackburn. Um, you know. So it was, it was coming increasingly difficult. Cantona was on fire for Man United. Schmeichel was on fire for Man United. We always played... If they had played on the Saturday, we'd play on the Sunday and vice versa. So we are always being able to watch what they were doing because they were usually on live and we were on live the next day or, or vice versa as well. So, And we could see Cantona no, would score a last-minute winner and Schmeichel would make some brilliant saves. And I think another factor is we didn't have enough players who'd uh, been inexperienced that and won it. I think we had uh, Peter Beardsley who'd been a, 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 you know, a top-level winner. Barry Venison, Paul Bracewell. I'm not even sure if if Brace was still around, he might have been in at the time. And I think that was it, really, where Man United. Hold
0: up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a
1: thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, I bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month.
0: So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
3: It's full squad experience, uh, winning it, and they knew that it was... You know, uh, late March, April. When's the time where it kicked in? See
2: the games against Man United. Who would you be up against? Keane.
3: Keane and Scholes. And what would you give them? But the best two. They were the best two. Without a doubt. Really? Aye, they could do everything. Both, both could do everything. Could smash you. Could pass. Could run. Box to box. Could score. What uh, what different class. And then I had the. Through Coley, I had the chance to meet up with both of them uh, away from football and they were unbelievably good, great guys, very, very humble. I remember uh, when Roy was manager of Ipswich and I was manager of Huddersfield and I signed Jordan Rhodes from him. He, when we were in dialogue between each other, I left us a voicemail message and said on the voicemail, uh, Lay, it's just Roy Keane from Ipswich Town leaving a message and I thought, Roy, I know who you yeah. are. You don't need to tell <laughs> us which uh, club <laughs> you're at. Hey, everyone knows who you are.
2: <laughs> Brilliant. But see, in game, would, would, you, would, would you be the type, obviously on your personality, would
3: you... I had to go tour to toe with it, But would you do? as well? not, not really. No. Nah. Not really. Uh, didn't really get myself involved with that once or two, twice with odd players, but just to give a bit back, it wasn't really my scene, to be honest. Do
2: you think you were at that level with Keenan schools that season?
3: Me personally? Yeah. No, they were world class. They were world class. Uh, they 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 were in the top top bracket. They were in the top bracket. Do you were you
2: just underneath that?
3: Well, I've considered myself a good player, but they were they they were world class. I mean, you know, some of the midfields that were about Vieira and Pity were playing for Arsenal at the time. Uh, so some of the midfield players you come up against, they were, you you know, the young Steven Gerrard and Alonso, um, I faced in my career, and um, you know, so. There were some outstanding uh, central midfield players of that time. Uh,
2: right. Uh, Rob Lee said the poor form that led to the lead slipping was due to failing players' confidence.
3: you go along with that? Well, probably did because, as I said to you, well, it hadn't been a team that uh, had lost on a regular basis and during that end period was probably uh, when we um, when we uh, lost more games on the run than we probably ever had. Mm. So, uh, you know, that could be a factor. Did you try
2: and change anything there?
3: Just keep going the way it was? No, we, we didn't believe that things needed change because it had worked for for so long and it, and it worked for after that as well. It was just that period of time, you know.
2: Uh, Ferguson's mind games, I wanted to ask you. He went heavy on the mind games. Could you see it affecting Keegan before his big run?
3: No, nah, as I said, he, he was um, a very emotional man and he felt that... Uh, it, it, what it was is, it was a Tuesday night game we'd played at Ellen Road. We won the game. We were playing Forest on the Thursday, is it? Um, and then we had a game on the weekend, I, I think was the last game of the season. I think we were home to Spurs, maybe. And um, we were then at the end of the season, we are going back to Forest to play in Stuart T- Pierce's testimonial. And uh, I think Sir Alex had questioned whether Forest on the Thursday night would try because we were playing. Um, we were we were taking a team and our team and all our fans to Stuart Pearce's testimonial and that got Kevin rattled and if you remember he was questioning uh, the integrity of of what was being said about a man about Stuart Pearce yes, and yeah. Forest because I think they ultimately beat we as well on the Thursday night or drew with us which meant we had to win our final game and man you had to lose it Borough, which they ended up winning and uh, and. They love it. I mean, I remember getting on the bus and we hadn't seen it at the time yeah. and he got on the bus and I remember I, and listening and he'd said to Terry Mark, I says, oh, I've, I've just went on the rampage on the TV and when we seen it, I'd love it if we beat them. Love it. And we thought, we weren't surprised. I, you know, people talk about main games. It was just our manager, showing his passion and uh-huh. how he was.
2: Could you just have a laugh a bit of them?
3: Oh, yeah. Aye, we had a laugh. We used, you just used, used, used to say things to him about it, you know, love it, love it. And he had a, he had a giggle about it. It wasn't... He, he was good like that. There was, no, there was no big issues. There was no big deal. It wouldn't cause him a problem.
2: Probably, uh-huh. What would uh, Kevin Keegan say the day
3: he lost the league? It. What did he say? What would he say? Uh-huh. He didn't say a lot. He didn't say a lot. If I remember rightly, he was... We were... Uh, I think I remember more what he said the following summer when we were in Singapore on a Far East tour and well we are in Bangkok the first part of it and he said listen guys if you didn't realise you were playing for a big club you should now we've just broke the world transfer record to bring Alan Shearer back uh, from a team that had just um, missed out on the league and that was basically him saying we're not we're resting on our laurels we know we've failed at the final hurdle but now we want to go again and but unfortunately, didn't didn't last that season to see it through.
2: See, when you lose a league like that on the last day, how long does it sit with you? Do you still think about the next nah, season? No,
3: You still do, do you? I, oh, Well, as I said, you would have been... If you have that on your CV, there's no better feeling, because people talk about it being the best league in the world, and it has been. It's obviously grown, and been, it's a different challenge now. But even during that era, when you talk about the players... We talked about Keane and Scholes. The players that were playing in the league that year were the best, in, best of their year. Yeah, right? aye, aye. Uh-huh, definitely. With the exception of Membys 1 or 2. Mm-hmm. you know, never, never got the likes of Z- Zidane to come over, but of course.
2: Uh, right, Shearer arrives. What, what, what's so good about Alan Shearer? What, cause like, see, he's not obviously got a great touch. He can't do a step over. What is it that instantly hits you about he Alan has Shearer? Got a,
3: he's got a very good touch, to has be honest, Aye, he's, yeah, with, with every part of his body, his head, his chest, his feet, um, he's, uh, he's strong, he's powerful, but what Alan could do, he could adapt his game when he uh, had serious injuries, If I don't know if you've ever seen the footage uh, when he was playing for Blackburn and he burst through and Gary Pallister, who was known as a quick centre-half then, was hanging on his back because Alan was a powerful runner. At the time before the injuries, and he struck the ball past Michael with unbelievable power. He had ankles like tree trunks, so he used to just when he hit the ball, it was hit. Um, he, he's, he's not huge in terms of his height. He's not like a six foot three, six foot four, but he was phenomenal in the air, either directing headers down or crosses, and movement. Um, but for me, it was it was quite surreal because. You know we're signing this player who was world class uh, the the best of his era, the best of his type, um, but I would known him I'd grown grown up at Walls End Boys Club with him, oh, so when we, right? when we came back it was like it's like seeing an old mate you know, and it was great to have him part of your group then and it was it was brilliant, brilliant to play. When I look back and some of the strikers that I was lucky enough to play behind as a midfield player. Um, my, my career was quite easy to try and because if you couldn't make goals for those guys you're never going to make goals for anyone.
2: Uh, was uh, was going to be a good trainer? Would he be an animal trainer? Nah, no mm. interested.
3: Alright, not bad. Finishing sessions, ridiculous. Took them ridiculously serious. Never tried to take the mickey out of goal. Keepaz was just wanting to finish. So if he had 100 shots one day he wanted 100 goals. Um, five a sides, running, didn't really five sides he'd come alive when the ball came to him running didn't, not interested match days got him excited and match big the bigger the game the, the more excited he'd become and the more the, the, the more of a challenge for him and, uh, I, um, and obviously the, the injuries that he had people thought they would take his toll on him they didn't he just what he'd done he changed his game he adapted his game and that's a sign of any top class player that you, you can do that and Tully's last day continued to score goals. He looks quite serious on the TV to me. Ah, he's a good laugh. Is he a good laugh, is ah, he? Uh-huh? He's a different character behind the scenes. Is he? Ah, he's uh, he he likes the banter. He loved he loved the football dressing room banter. Um, you know, very serious guy when it came to the football oh, and could he winning give it out games. Thought uh-huh? I, of course. He was a great leader. Um and he he led by example, but he also led vocally as well. So, you know, it was um and it was it was a fantastic uh, time to have, to have been at the club to have played alongside him.
2: Brilliant. Uh, were you shocked when Kevin Keegan resigned?
3: As I said, it was... Oh, you spoke about Charlotte in a way. Ah, huh? I was seeing... we um, was seeing it in his body language as something it wasn't right. Was that a bad thing about him that you could tell how he was feeling?
2: by No, not, not there really.
3: Was... It was you liked it? It was hot on his sleeve stuff, yeah. yeah. We, we loved his passion and... Uh, well, I certainly did. And... Um, but we were gutted. Of course, this was a guy who gave us an opportunity to, to do things we never thought we'd ever. Well, I didn't we could, uh, was a dream of. with my local team. And so when he left the club, it was it was a tough one, a tough one to take. Did he talk to the boys before he went? Not really. No. It was Kevin. It was Terry Mcdermott and Arthur Cox, the guys who um, ended up having to, to speak to us. And they took the team for a couple of games, and then Kenny came in.
2: And then another legend comes
3: in, Kenny O'Gleish. Absolutely! What a player in training. Well,
2: you see, when you heard Kenny Douglas was coming, do you genuinely get excited? Even though you're a proper player, like, do you still get excited hearing oh, that when I, Kenny Douglas yeah, coming. in? of
3: course you want because you you want to learn from these guys. I mean, he'd uh, he'd been successful at Liverpool both as a player and a manager. He he took a small provincial club like Blackburn to to win the Premier League. So you're thinking, wow, this is this is a terrific. Uh, appointment for to, to appease everybody the players because the players were always like looking to the owners then to say come on how are you going to replace yeah. an icon like Kevin and then Kenny came through the door and, 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 and was different to Kevin because um, Kenny comes across quite uh, morbid on the TV as well and very protective of his players he no matter what had happened in the game would never ever criticise the team as a group or an individual, but would certainly be, you know, point pointing figures in behind closed in doors. Room, can he go there? Aye, but also was very, uh, very humorous, very funny, and uh, just another one here. A little bit of awe. No, he joined in training. It was like, what? These guys are just You'd probably think if I had the physical capabilities, Good the more. The oh, aye, oh, aye. <laughs> no way. The quality was unbelievable, man. It was like. And uh, so, you know, it's just—he's—he's
2: he's known for his one-liners. Have you ever heard him cut a player down? Oh yeah,
3: he's—he's—he's—he's—he's he's, 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 he's funny. He's witty. He's sharp. I mean, I, when I've bumped into him since at various different venues, he's—he's—I uh, um, was managing Barry, and I was at the Etihad and went to watch Man City Liverpool, and he was in there. And I was like, oh, how are you doing, Gaffa? And he's like, "Wee man, how are you? How did you enjoy Scotland? And obviously I'd put a bit of beef on. He says, well, it looks like you have. And anyway. wasn't <laughs> 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 So he just uh, shot us down in flames. But um, no, nah, great. I only had probably four months playing under him because uh, towards the end of his time, I was, um, I was I was hitting a bit of good form. We'd, we'd gone three games and that's, we would scored, I'd scored in every game and I was playing well. We had a cup tie coming up the following week and he left us out for Peter Beardsley. Now, it wasn't the fact he'd left us out for Peter because I've just spoke you yeah, totally out yeah. highly. It's the fact that I was thought I was playing well and then I could have the chance of being left out. And that's when I'd made my decision about leaving the football club then. So that was probably about April. And then come the end of the season, we decided to move on. How did he react when you told him you were to leave? He was fine. He, listen, he, he he explained, we want you to stay. I kind of promise anyone a start. He says, we're at a big club, which I fully understood. Um, you know, we'd like you to sign a new deal, an extension. And uh, and I just said, no, nah, listen, it's the right time for us to go. And he, he was very respectful of that. He um, he, he allowed me and the, the club didn't price us out the market. And we had one or two options, so... No, it was it was fine. Is it
2: a sad day when you leave. Oh, of course it is. Yeah, of course. Tears because, now.
3: because you're leaving the club you love, and you're, uh, you're leaving, you know, pals like you, you know people who you've you've known for many many years, and you know the club can go and achieve so many big things. And you know it, it is a difficult decision because um, you're going away from a club that's been part challenging to to. To, to be the best in the business.
2: What did your family in that say when you leave Newcastle they think you're stupid?
3: Well, they did when I was saying my son, Linda. <laughs> what did they say when? Did you tell them in talks with to before you well, said Well, yeah, I spoke to various different clubs. I spoke... Uh, Aston Villa with Brian Little, um, Frank Clark, Manchester City, Jim Smith with Derby, who were Premier League. Aston Villa were obviously Premier League. Um, Celtic and Rangers, Dick Avaca and... Tommy Lake, great Tommy Burns, and um, Sunderland was the last club I met, and I remember meeting Reedy in Manchester. And says, "Listen, Peter, I've come out of courtesy." Paul Bracewell, who had played alongside and played a big part in me career, he was Peter's assistant, and he'd asked his, he'd set up the meeting, and I basically said to uh, said to Peter, I'm, "I'd come out of respect that he'd asked to meet us, and there was no way I was going to sign." And, Six bottles of Lauren Perry <laughs> he said I signed a the... five-year contract
2: <laughs> <laughs> Is he a top man, Peter? Yeah.
3: It was different class. He, he, he was a different class He was in a line of managers That I loved playing for He got the best out of his He was a great motivator, a great manager He assembled a great group of players And I had two great years under him So did you phone your, phone your
2: dad And say I'm turning for Sunderland? Well,
3: what had happened is I came back This was on a Friday and I, meet, I met them through my friends and father-in-law for a drink in town and tell them that I'd agree to sign my son. In. And it was a bit of a shock for everyone. So it took a... Well, it, it, this, uh, it, they, they never got round the, in the heads that I'd, uh, that I'd uh, signed for them. In my second season, the first game of the season, I broke my leg. My wife and two oldest children were away on holiday. My father-in-law and his mates came in. Uh, I had an executive box at the Stadium at and they came in the box to watch the game. We meant to meet up after the game, and I was in hospital, obviously, I'd broke my leg after about half an hour, and uh, I was wondering where they were, they're like, no one had been in touch with us, and no one had been to see us at the hospital. So I rang them, and I could hear music in the background, and they were in Newcastle city centre. And they said, "Well, are you? We're waiting for you. And I says, well, you must know where I am. And she says, no, why? I says, I'm in hospital, i broke my leg did you not see the incident? And he says, oh, to be fair, we shut the curtains in the box and we just got on the drink. We didn't watch the match.
2: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant, man. <laughs> so, is the rivalry? <laughs> obviously, we know Celtic and Rangers up with Scotland.
3: Is it similar? No, no, it's not on no. that level. It's, 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 it's a club rivalry right. and it's not the, the no, religion. Right. And not, yeah, and it's... So I used to always... I was, this was in the Championship. I was playing my son in Newcastle, obviously in the Premier League and I, I used to still go back and watch Newcastle whenever I could. Did you right? Oh yeah, all the time and there was there was never any issues. I never was friendly banter, but it never got you know Too much. no, no, it never got heated and never got derogatory and it never got um uh, you know it will not become an issue. Not, would the other
2: Sunderland players give you a bit for it or would they not
3: bother? Nah, it was hey, listen. The scene, what I was there for, when I was in yeah, in, in the group in a... and trained and played and and, and I just cracked on, you know.
2: What was it like putting the strip on for the first day?
3: Fine, I axe at the um, stadium of light and uh, to opening the stadium and it was fine. I, I got into it and then my first home game there, we beat Man City. Me and Isla Quinn and Kevin Phillips scored, I think so. How good are they sort of players? Well, they were top class. That was an unbelievable strike force. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Michael Bridges, a young striker who couldn't get in the team at the time. Le- Leeds, he
2: played for himself. Leeds, a good, yeah, yeah. A good Champions yeah.
3: League, very good player. And Kevin and Quinny were phenomenal. He, when you see Neil Quinn from afar, you think he's just this big six-foot-four target man, but he had a, he had a magnificent touch, and he, he you know was great to play alongside him. Easy for a midfield player again, and Kevin was an unknown. And... Uh, just
2: brilliant. Uh-huh. Uh, Peter Reed, as you said, top man, but
3: he could, he could blow his top, couldn't he? Thought what I, worst you've seen him? He kicked us up the backside in the bottom of my hamstring at Redden. I was awful. We played at Redden, I think we lost 4 0, and I was useless. And uh, he volleyed us and, and said something along the lines of, I've just wasted 4 million quid on you. And <laughs> So, uh, no, I had great, great respect for him. But he was a tough guy, a tough, tough manager. What did please like? Aye, but he was. If you did, if you, you know, he was. He he was brilliant. He was brilliant to play for. Alex, Ray, did you
2: play with him?
3: Played with Alex. How hey, was
2: player.
3: he? A madman. Good, good player. What oh, a man. Crazy, great player. In fact, was he Dude, a great player? Uh, uh, I had done do him a this service. Enjoyed playing alongside him. Um, you know, he was uh, he was a good, funny guy, funny guy in the dressing room, um, in the training ground. Um, there's actually I've got a there's a picture of me and him at the training ground and he's obviously seeing something and I'm just in a fit of laughter um, and that was on a regular occurrence at the tra- on the training pitch and usually the butt of his jokes was Quinny, Quinny's dress sense so he used to get a bit of stick. Uh, all a that. few people admit, Is it terrible? Huh? His uh,
2: wife addresses
3: him. Pla- well, it
2: looked that way. Uh. Uh, it looked that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you won the first division your second season, 105 points. Uh, was it your intention to stay for the Premier League after it? Um,
3: well, it was difficult because I couldn't see myself playing for Sunderland against Newcastle. Oh really? Yeah, and that was me thoughts. And um, I'd already informed Peter that I was looking to leave, but he wasn't having any of it. And then obviously the incident with the t-shirt it just, you know, made it untenable. See the morning you'd done that, were you thinking, what we? You... Well. I only had it on for 30 seconds. People seemed to think that I was wearing it around the streets of London. Right. Um, when I jumped out the black cab, it got thrown on us, and then the pictures got taken. I remember my father-in-law saying that, uh, oh, that could come back to haunt you. And I said, do you think? And okay. So, uh, <laughs> you know, when it came out in the public domain, it was uh, it made my position untenable. Which, when I look back now, when I'm older, um, more mature you just think... Uh, it's a shame because I only played for three clubs and two of them I get welcomed back with open arms and the other one where I had two great seasons, voted player of the year that they find it difficult to, to forgive and forget, which I, I totally understand. Do you
2: remember the first time Peter spoke to you after it?
3: He was, he was in the south of France. I was in the, the boardroom with the chairman and my agent and the chairman was obviously saying it was untenable, my position would have to sell us. And Peter was adamant that the fixtures had just come out and we were... First game of the season was at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea and uh, was adamant that um, I'd be in the team. He wasn't letting us go. Really? And, uh, you yeah, wanted to yeah.
2: keep you after that? Oh,
3: too. yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he said we could ride out the storm and because uh, obviously he knew and I'd spoke to him to say that once we got promoted. Uh, we'd, I mean, we'd secured the league quite early and we got to the semi-final of the League Cup as well. I think it was known as the Calling Cup then. We beat off Leicester over two legs. Neil Lennon was playing for Leicester. And after the second leg, I went in to see him and Andy Gray was doing Sky. I just said, listen, next season's going to be difficult. It's Probably easier if I move on. With the opportunity, And um, he was like, no, nah, no, nah, it's not happening. So he obviously was thinking this was a way of me getting out with a T-shirt and he wasn't going to allow it. But when the phone went down, Bob Murray, the chairman of Sunderland, then just reiterated that I couldn't hang about.
2: Did you want to hang a bit now? He couldn't.
3: He couldn't. Uh,
2: did you get? Did you get quite a bit of abuse for Sunderland fans? Ah, yeah,
3: I got a, quite a bit of stick. And, and right, so is it scary? Well, n- not so so much. Um, but you know, I understood. You you not you, kinda, you kinda bite the hand that feeds you. You still got the t-shirt. <laughs> it was never mine. <laughs> 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 uh, Fulham then. Fancy we moved into London. Fantastic, best decision I made. Really? Never ever thought I'd go and live in London. Whenever I played there, I thought the place was massive, daunting. When I used to walk about pre-match, um, but was an m- unbelievable move. A club on the up, uh, crazy owner. What was owner like?
2: You got any stories about
3: him? Mad. Brought Michael Jackson in the dressing room. <laughs> um, said, "Hey, yeah, sees lads. He has Michael, um, <laughs> Tony Curtis, the old famous actor."
2: Did Michael Jackson speak
3: when he came in? Mm, didn't show, say a lot. The guy was throwing rose petals down on the train on the dressing room floors. He walked in. and <laughs> So we had... Uh, <laughs> but he, what he'd done is, the owner, he, um, he invested a lot yeah. of money. We had an unbelievable training ground that he was making, better and better all the time, keeping updated. It was difficult for him to do anything with the ground. I don't know if you've played at Craven, Craven Cottage, but it's, but it's... Um, it's right in the middle of a... Of Housing estate, isn't it? Yeah, which is, you know, houses are worth a lot of money there. One of the stands backs onto the Thames. So he had some big plans, but there was quite a bit of, a, you know, response that they didn't want, you know, workmen in there. So I thought you going to say, Jordy's in there. <laughs> <It> was probably, <laughs> that was probably the thing, yeah. So, but what a club. What people, what a place to live. My family loved it, and... uh no, it's uh, six six brilliant years. Was it the
2: chairman that you met at first
3: or was it the manager? Um, it was Paul Bracewell who was the manager, who signed his. And then I met the owner uh, when I was doing my medical and um,
2: What did he and, first say to you when
3: you first signed him? Oh, right? just it was crazy, he just you know, it was, it was just some of the things he'd done. It was like but he was very uh, generous to the families, to the to the children, to the staff. Um you know, got the old Harrods discount cards yeah. and that, and all that. Yeah, we were there regular, and big parties we were more successful in the main restaurant in Harrods, and looked after us unbelievably. Um, now, it's just just a phenomenal, phenomenal time in a, in a great part of the world. Uh-huh.
2: Uh, did you ever get a pint with Michael Jackson there?
3: No, I didn't get a pint with Michael Jackson. No, no I'm, I'm not. Um, you know. I'm, I don't think the lad's got a sing-song with him either. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, John T. is came in as manager. What a legend, eh?
3: Absolutely, absolutely. What a great manager. I took it to a new level in terms of the modern day work, in terms of fitness, dietary stuff. We were training three times a day, sometimes six o'clock in the morning, ten o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, so. you never minded that? Oh, we had, we, we had to. We either, got, we either liked it or we got out he was in charge and he had the back end of the owner and Was
2: he quite strict?
3: Uh, yeah, very, very and um, very demanding uh, all about total football again though but we were super fit and uh, got us into the Premier League got us into Europe um, so the, the, the club was in the up we were to get a club like that competing in European competition was, was fantastic
2: Who was your mates uh, in the film dressing?
3: Chris Coleman ended up becoming my manager
2: uh-huh.
3: Very good pals He's gorgeous as early uh, Aye Story We played Liverpool And he was manager And uh, I was the captain of the club And um, Liverpool were making a sub so, Rafa Benitez was bringing Milan Barris on And I uh, don't know if you remember The, uh-huh, the, the check, striker. the
2: huh?
3: Chris waved us over And uh, I thought he was going to say something Tactically And he said uh, Good luck in any <laughs> <laughs> and I said, eh? he said good looking because he was like a mini version <laughs> of Chris <laughs> Aye. and it was like wow, it was uh, he could break up the, uh, the seriousness with good stuff and, um, but John you know took the club to a new level Chris suffered a serious injuries in a car accident and his career had to stop in terms of the play and went on to the coaching staff and then when John moved Chris Chris took over and was, was the uh, youngest ever Premier League manager at the time I remember in one of his, before I think it was five games left of the season where he was a caretaker manager. We, I think we won three, drew one, and lost one, which got him the job ultimately. In one of those games, his first home game, I think, was Venia Castle, and I scored the winner, past year given. And um, so I keep saying to him, listen, remember who got you the Good job, job at Full of my, and My.
2: Uh, so see, when you were a captain, he was the manager, we used to go for a beer net after games?
3: Um, or did you need to change? Yeah, he, he had to change a little bit in terms of that. Um, it, it was difficult because our families were really close as well. Our children yeah, yeah. Uh, were close, so he had to be a little bit, you know, managerial side of it. But there was there was lots of occasions where him and his staff um, would would socialise with the players in any way because he wanted to try and have this the, this that? group together. Yeah, so um, but obviously it, it had to change. Um, so
2: right uh, I need to ask you about a player who I loved Louis Saha
3: unbelievable up there with your Shearers and your well he was I mean when you're talking Shearer you're talking top of the tree but he he was certainly when I list the top strikers I mean a couple of years we had him at Fulham I think when he paid Mets 1.8 million for him and um, he he was just ridiculous what what a leap uh, what a touch and he was finished athletic he obviously got the move to Man United for £17 million. We were actually... That's when the, the, the transfer windows had started coming in and it was the January transfer window. And I think we were third or fourth top at the time. And for a club like Fulham to be yeah. third or fourth top of the Premier League was ridiculous. And we thought if we kind of held on to them, we could have possibly maybe got... We may, even if we had a drop, still got in the top six. But on deadline day... He Got sold to Man United, and we found it. Chris found it difficult as the manager to replace him, and certainly he weren't going to get a player of that le- level of that quality. And we ended up finishing ninth, which was still a club record high at the time in the Premier League. Um, but we just felt that if he had a stayed, because he, he, he could have been, he was a match winner on his own yeah. at times, and um, in that 4 2 3 1 system, he was perfect because he was so dynamic, his movement was brilliant. He had a terrific touch. He was playing with a lot of confidence. He was, he had a, his leap was, was terrific. Um, so we, we, we could have easily finished in the top six if he had hung around. And In a January window, when you lose your best player like that, it is difficult Tough, to uh, replace him. Difficult to replace him. You played with some top players. One player, who's the best you played with? Well, when I, when I think about all the strikers i played with throughout my career, so if I take it from the start, Mickey Quinn, David Kelly, Gavin Peacock, Andy Cole, Peter Beardsley, um, Ferdinand, Les Ferdinand, Alan Shearer, Fastino Asprea, Kevin Phillips, m- uh, Niall. Niall Quinn, um Louis Saha, um Mike Alone, um, just ridiculous, array of strikers. But we have to pick one. Who are you picking? In terms of the striker? No, player. Well, player? Peter. Peter, Peter. Peter Beardsley. Yeah. Yeah, the best. Aye. I mean, listen. Some of them. Some of them were. You know, Stevie Finnan was a fantastic footballer and yeah. playing great career for Liverpool. The yeah, Champions League didn't it? It's hard because. How do you how do you not pick a Shearer? Like who's you, just smashed every record going. and... But just the one that you you enjoyed playing with the most. Uh, in terms of enjoyment, it'd be Shearer. Shearer. Mm-hmm. What about
2: best guy you've met? I love this question. Best guy in football.
3: Best guy in football. Made Ferdinand. you laugh the most. Les Ferdinand. Oh, oh, Ferdinand was the best guy. How uh, for... oh, what was
2: so good about Ferdinand?
3: Just brilliant! It's a lovely man, funny but humble, respectful. Treat everyone the same. Spend time with your wife, your family, your brothers, no, no your too sisters. Much your wife or home. No, no. Well, that's <laughs> one, one area where you, 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 if that happens, there's no going back. You, 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 your history.
2: <laughs> well, and last uh, last one of on the teammates funniest.
3: Funniest. David Batty was a funny guy. Very yeah. funny guy. Alex Ray unbelievably funny guy had some great laughs Chris Coleman was high up there very funny when what was
2: Chris Coleman's part of, like slotting people
3: uh, yeah just like one liners and uh, you know about club or what car you drove or whatever and, and just just cutting like just brilliant love that banner brilliant uh, right just finally second spell at Newcastle
2: uh, was it surreal when Newcastle got in contact with you to go back well, did you ever think it would happen again never
3: never I was on the verge of going I was still living down south I was on the verge of going to Southampton and then potentially could have a chance to go to Leeds and out the blue Terry McDermott was one of uh, Graeme Sooness's assistants and he rang us and says come you know pre-season had started and I didn't have a club this was the first time I didn't have a club my contract ran out of Fulham and uh, he says come, come you know he knew I was coming home for a while come in and train with us just keep yourself fit, football fitness, because you know what it's like training in the gym to football fitness is completely yeah. different. You know, you have six weeks in the gym and you try and play a competitive football match yes, like works. a pre-season. It, it's, it doesn't get you right, so you need football training. So I came in and after about five or six days, Graham soonest got us in and says, Listen, I like what I'm saying. He says, You're an experienced player. Um, I'd like you in around the group. He says, you mightn't get a lot of game time, but if I need you in emergencies, he says, but what also, I know you, you're doing your coaching badges. You've got to, you've got to, uh, you want to become a coach, he says, you can, um, you can you know, be mentored by Tommy Craig, who Tommy was taking the uh, the, the reserve team. So what I've done is I registered as a player coach and um, was then becoming, uh, getting mentored by Tommy to, on the coaching side but after about three or four games Graham, Graham put me in the team I think we didn't get a result in the first three games we had a hard run and then we went to Blackburn and he started us and we beat Blackburn 3-0 and uh, I ended up playing 25-30 times so what a player. it was it was I it, it, it was just like wow and he surreal.
2: asked you it, what soonest like obviously another legend
3: thought he was brilliant because and the reason I thought he was brilliant he wasn't a very popular choice he was took over from Bobby, Sir Bobby Robson and the team didn't, weren't getting great results and he was under a lot of pressure and he never uh, he never looked like a man under pressure he never passed that into the players he never showed we had like some young players in the group we had a young Charles and Zobby had at the time he
2: was on fire then wasn't he? aye
3: Charles could have been you know, was a terrific young talent um, but the manager was the proper man he, you know, he uses that words. He's one of the few pundits I love watching. Yeah, he's still. Going, isn't he? Um, Could uh, he, could he give give a player a bit of her? Uh? Oh, when he used to join in, he could, he would leave one of his naughty tackles in. He would smash you, no? Uh, uh, well, no, no, I, I kept out of his way. I knew what mm. I knew what he was capable of, but he was uh, presence uh, a bit of him, isn't he? Some it? some player. I mean that era that he. I was, I'm very good friends with Terry McDermott and worked with him both as a player and a, and a manager for many years. It was managed by Dag and managed by Souness, Keegan, obviously won a few but those three, the medal collection from that era wow. were just phenomenal. It was like, uh, and and just had loads of respect for for Souness. had uh, another icon of the game and, and I just found him to be a, a real top bloke who protected his players and was an example of me of when when the pressure's on, you know, how to go about things. Uh, Michael Unkin, a lot's been made in the press recently with having Shearer. Uh, how, how did you find Michael Well, I've, I've just said, I've, I've I've been asked many times since the book's been uh, brought out and, and been serialised that what's been said hasn't surprised us. He looked like a player who didn't want to be with us. He didn't look at ease at the club. He didn't buy into a lot of the things, in the community or into the fan base everyone to that own so I just yeah I
0: didn't
3: I, I and Did you pull him up back then for that then? No nah, I wasn't I wasn't really surprised that hey, listen he's still in the early times I mean I remember at West Brom away and uh, Blackburn and there was another game where West Ham where he he, he looked what he was a, a world class striker but um, you know the injuries were a big issue um, and I just felt when when the serialization of the book come out ten days ago, two weeks ago, that it wasn't really a, it wasn't a shock to me what mm. he was saying because it, it looked that way. It looked that way to 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 someone who was sharing a dressing room with him. Did you ever go to the horses one minute there? Uh, yeah, we went we went to horse race meetings. He's uh, uh, used of his helicopter and all that, and um, so it's it's sad to find that um, he's had to use the book to 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 be derogatory about um, the Newcastle fans, the club, you know, because what, what what mystifies me is he says in the book that the the owner of Madrid had said they accepted the bid from Newcastle, but they didn't, they weren't pushing them out the door. So if you didn't really want to come to Newcastle, stay, s- stay at Real Madrid, stay, yeah. you know, and, um, and so, um, it it they try to portray it as a similar one to the when the signed Shearer and they had the big. They had opened the stand stadium, at the stadium, uh, and there was twenty odd thousand there, and they had the big press conference. But it's it's probably easy to see it didn't uh, it didn't pan out like Shearer's.
2: Shearer's going to end up ragdolling
3: a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have thought they'll be uh, they'll jack, be right? sitting down for dinner together no. anytime time soon. Uh,
2: just finally, on Newcastle. Uh, did another team match the buzz that you got for us play- playing for Newcastle? No, I
3: love I, I loved Fulham. I love my time at Fulham. I had two great years at Solham, but I love my time at Fulham. The club's so special to us. But nothing's going to ever replace the buzz of playing for your hometown club, seeing your your mum and your dad and your brothers and sisters, your wife, your, your children. Because, uh, fortunately, my me, me third child, he wasn't born first time I played round, but second time he was he born, whether he was old enough to understand, I don't know, that's another thing. But uh, they had that chance to... To see me pull on the famous black and white shirt.
2: How emotional was the last final appearance?
3: Well, I didn't actually know at the time it was. It was a v Chelsea at St James's Park, and a result that got us into Europe. And um, we, uh, the injuries had took that toll, so they were becoming an issue. And um, so we, uh, I decided that summer to knock, knock the plane on the head and concentrate on the next stage. We, uh, were emotional. Are you emotional? There's, there's been times where I thought, that, you know, c- could I reverse the decision? But I always felt it was the right one.
2: Have you found the rigours of management since you got in it? And took, who did you take most from as oh,
3: well, sorry? Oh, I took things from all my managers, various different things and positives. I always say I, I feel like I was so lucky that the managers I played under always give us uh, positive uh, feedback. and So you take a lot of things from them all. It's changed since I first took the job at Huddersfield to what it is now in terms of, um, you know, whereas in the start um, players and agents would come to the manager if they wanted any issues resolved, if they wanted a new contract and find out how they were playing. Now it's probably di- the deal direct with chief executives and owners. So the manager is more like a head coach. Um, the do you, know not
2: like, on. Do you know like that as much? Not as Did much. The pressure's away, on. Uh... The
3: pressure's on straight away. Whatever level you're working at, because the turnaround in the in the situation with social media. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a tough old gig.
2: That was some run you went
3: on with Huddersfield, didn't it? I was doing it, that It's something time. that you, you, still you proud of it. Aye, I mean it's not been beaten forty three games, beating the great, the late great Brian Clough, an icon. So um, now it's. Something you, you look back on and I've tried to do the similar things at the other clubs that I've had and to try and repeat it and bring in such similar type of players to what I had but it's been near on impossible. Uh need to
2: ask you about Scottish football. Uh, what was your first impression when you joined Commander? You've done great it. the first season, didn't you?
3: Well, we, we we kept them up and then in the summer the second season where we uh we rebuilt the squad and when I left I shouldn't have left, I shouldn't have took When Barry come calling. I should have stayed at Kilmarnock. They tried to get us to stay. We only had one full year, calendar year there and um, we were sixth in a tight league and I I should have stayed. I I, I got trekked brilliantly. The the standard of the football was far higher than people make out down south. You manage at Celtic Park, you manage at Ibrox, you manage at Pataudry, at Tynecastle. Castle. Hibs weren't in the league then but we knew they were going to come up. So, you know, it's, it's probably an, an area where I, I regret that I should have stayed there for longer.
2: Big Lee McCulloch, your assistant manager, how great, did
3: you find him? Great guy, brilliant help him and Peter Levin, two terrific guys, got on really well, legend in Scotland, obviously. I wouldn't go as far as legend, but I. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, nah, listen, two, two brilliant fellas and uh, help helped me a lot because obviously to, to get to know about the Scottish game and what it was about. Big McCulloch says to ask you about the Steve Bristow. <laughs> Steve Bruce for Nicholas Bent, uh-huh. ah, in, uh, when he was uh, dating his wife, he uh, saw his wife, his daughter. Sorry, he'd certainly be upset if he was dating his wife. <laughs> ah, he was. Uh, well, Nicholas was a young player at Birmingham, wasn't he? And he was. Um, he was. He wasn't the shyest as everyone's come across and. Uh, no, it was. He turns up back home for lunch, and there's Nicholas Bentner lying a on his couch in his front room. He wasn't too pleased <laughs> with the Sky remote changing the channels. <laughs> that's
2: tremendous, isn't it? I uh, love it. Uh, just on Kelly, just looking for the results.
3: Absolutely, been up a few times since. Well, have you been back? I, you had been? I, I, to watch games, um, and uh, thought you know, brilliant with, the, with getting them into Europe. Our um, nah, club, that's you know. I I've real fondness for, real fondness. Manager's know not the
2: great I'm not a headline at that. But we, would you be open to returning back <laughs> back to come on
3: he's turned the corner. It was a tough start, and yeah. Uh, but I'd, yeah, certainly looks Scottish football wouldn't be an issue for me to go back in managing that. Definitely.
2: Lee, top man. Thanks very much. Cheers, Simon. Cheers, Thank mate, you. Man.
3: Have you heard Poshnosh brand new In Conversation series podcast? Somehow, she's managed to get all the best Michelin starred chefs in the UK to tell her all their secrets. If you're passionate about the restaurant industry or just up for a bit of culinary gossip, find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you generally listen. Remember, it's In Conversation with Poshnosh Gal by Shalina Tobin.
1: Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable.